This episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast is sponsored by AWS Energy. AWS brings the most advanced and secure cloud services and deep industry expertise across energy, utilities, and sustainable energy sectors. Together with a broad partner ecosystem, AWS is accelerating the energy transition through practical innovations to deliver energy efficiently, reliably, sustainably, and responsibly. Learn more at aws.amazon.com slash energy. Work hard and be passionate about what you do. And if you can't be passionate about what you're doing, try something else that you can work hard towards and apply yourself towards because, you know, there are no shortcuts in life and, you know, grinding it out to accomplish something and feel that sense of fulfillment is like nothing else. So that's my simple advice. And sometimes, by the way, when you don't love something, grinding it out achieves a love for it because you gain an appreciation for the fact that, you know, maybe you didn't love it when you started, but getting good at it through the pursuit of consistent work achieves an affinity and a love for something. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast. No reviews this week? Feel free to leave one by going to ilovethepodcast.com forward slash OGIL to leave one. If you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN swag, we have a merch store now. Matter of fact, if you order an Industry Leaders t-shirt, send me a picture of you wearing it through email, social media, and I'll give you a shout out on the show. While you're doing that, sign up for our new Sunday update. There's some behind the scenes moments with the OGGN team and exclusive perks to check out that shows up in your inbox every single week on Sunday. Okay, let's introduce this week's guest. I'm sitting here today with Edward Kovalik, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Prairie Operating Company. How are you, Ed? I'm doing great, Paige. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Well, I'm a recovering investment banker, believe it or not. <laughs> I did that for the better part of 15 years or so. And I, you know, had a real abrasive start in that profession. I started banking the dot com companies in that era. And I got in, you know, I did that for about two years. And then my whole coverage universe collapsed on me. So that was sort of a, <laughs> trial by fire learning experience. And then I, you know, shifted gears and did a lot of work with really just small cap companies that were consuming a lot of capital. So biotechnology, technology, energy, mining, and of all that peer group, I really just fell in love with energy because number one, being a greedy banker, like all young bankers, <laughs> the deal sizes in oil and gas were far larger than biotech deals. And so the same amount of time I spent doing a $10 million biotech deal you know, could be spent doing a $100 million oil and gas deal. So that 
uh, not to lie had a lot to do with it. But I also just fell in love with the fact that it was a predictable business model and a predictable outcome in many instances as compared to biotech and tech where most companies don't work out. Most management teams fail. Most products fail. And so I fell in love with the consistency and predictability of it as well. And that's kind of what got me you know, into energy banking. And then you know, as I kind of picked up steam doing that, I had another crisis, which was the 2007 <laughs> a credit crisis. So you know, I'm not short on learning experiences. Clearly. And as we kind of came out of that era, energy was a big driver and of a lot of interest to my clients on Wall Street. And so I branched out of investment banking in 2012 started a merchant bank and we started investing in the deals that we would do for clientele and that kind of moved me into the principal side of the business and you know the more I did that the more I fell in love with it. Excellent. Excellent. So let's talk about your current role with Prairie Operating. You got together with Gary Hanna and you're like, "Ah, eh, let's start a company," right? Yeah, you know, I learned the hard way with Gary that you should never be next door neighbors with your drinking buddy. <laughs> and, you know, Gary and I did just that. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, we had this crazy idea being next door neighbors that we wanted to start another oil company together. And a lot of this business, and you'll hear people say this time again, is timing. And we've definitely done it before when the timing was wrong. So we know how that feels. <laughs> but the timing felt really right this time around. And so, you know, we decided to have a run at it about a year ago. And, you know, it was just a matter of finding the right asset and we were off to the races. That's awesome. That's such a great story. So explain to our audience what Prairie does and where you operate. So we're a conventional, unconventional oil company, as they say. We purchased 37,000 acres in Weld County in the DJ Basin of Colorado. Weld is a county sort of in the north part of the state by the Wyoming state line. And so we're really big fans of a business model wherein you start with land aggregation. It's what we know how to do well and love to do. And... You know, rather than going out and buying a cash flowing asset, we're frankly really cheap. We didn't want <laughs> to pay up for yeah. a lot of production and reserves when we were getting going. So, you know, we were excited to be able to aggregate a large land position as this is. And our model is a really traditional development model with a few twists, namely that we are really growth oriented. We're focused on proving up the development of our asset as quickly as possible, which really means that we're going to go back to the days of drill, baby, drill. I mean, we're not looking to go slow and have kind of a slow pace of growth. We're really striving to amp up our development pace materially and frankly, reinvest all of our revenue, less our G&A into development. And so the last time we did this, we grew a business to about 23,000 barrels a day from scratch in 18 months. And, you know, we're kind of setting our sights on beating that record this time around. How exciting. That's so exciting to hear. So now that we've kind of gone through that, I really want to get into leadership. But before I do that, 
Could you explain to the audience why it was named Prairie? You and I had dinner one time and you told me the story and I just, I wanted to share that. You know, we're not that creative. And so, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when Gary and I were scoping out this acreage, the first thing that came to mind because it's just a gigantic prairie was, hey, we should name this Prairie Operating Company. And so being the simple-minded guys that we are, we opted to go, and that's really how the name came about. You know, we love naming things after, you know, animals or things that have some kind of relevance in our careers. In this case, it was just, you know, what you see is what you get. And so, you know, we drove through a giant prairie and we said, (laughs) damn, this is Prairie Operating Company. So... Not the most exciting story, but (laughs) how it happened. It amazes me so much. I know so many different CEOs, and it's all kind of the same kind of thing. It's what you see is what you get. I think (laughs) I worked for a CEO that I was like, oh, we closed this acquisition, but we were on this golf course. So that's the name of that now. (laughs) So that's always great. All right. So back to the leadership portion. Ed, what is leadership to you? Well, that's a great question. I can't purport to have you know the greatest answer. What I've tried to do is learn from great leaders, and there are a lot of examples of that. But you know what I try to focus on in leading is making sure that as leaders, we're in the trenches together with the team. And that means a lot of communication. That means complete honesty and a willingness to accept mistakes and learn from them. And it means it's the old cheesy thing about leading by example. You can't ask people to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. And so I think as a leader, kind of see myself as a pace car in a race. I've got to run at the speed I want everybody else to run at along with me and to motivate them. And I've got to make my team feel like I want success or art to achieve our goals more than anybody else. And, you know, I hope that that makes them feel the same way. And I think it does. I think, you know, we've got a tremendous team and it's because everybody is just focused and at a point in their careers where they want to have fun, but are still willing to grind it out like we are. And, you know, I think no matter where you are in your career, there's no way around grinding out a win. And, you know, it's what I love to do. And I love to lead by that example. And so to me, it's really in my simple minded way of thinking about it. That's really what it comes down to is you can always boil down a successful outcome to a lot of little steps. And each one of those little steps is the result of, you know, grinding out a victory. And so to me, the leadership is just, you know, high degree of collaboration, communication, and making sure that everybody's, you know, pulling towards the same goals. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's also that creates a lot of accountability on everybody's part so that everybody's accountable to everybody else in the team. And I always tell, you know, my team, If someone's not pulling their weight, then they're not going to fit in on the team. And the same goes for me. If I am not pulling my weight, I should be the first one that, you know, is shown the door. So it's, I don't have anything incredibly 
innovative or refreshing to reflect on in leadership. I think at the end of the day, those core principles apply to any good team and any good leadership model. Very good. So do you have an example of a difficult experience you've had as a leader? I mean, I know all of you have, but what do you have to share? Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of them. I mean, I can tell you one that really stands out, not to name names, but I once founded a company in the industry where, you know, and again, as I said, timing is everything, but, you know, I started up a company and literally a month later, we had serious operating challenges. We had, which were caused by a whole bunch of different factors, largely market inflicted, but also self-inflicted because we started the company with a tremendous amount of leverage, which also has informed our decision with Prairie, which is to be completely unlevered and to stay debt-free having learned from that experience. But, you know, sometimes things don't go as planned. And it's the old, you know, Mike Tyson adage, which is, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the face. Um, And this was a case of getting, you know, hit in the face, you know, really, really hard and never having been hit in the face that hard before. And so having to scramble really quickly and manage our debt load and manage our operating decisions and react to that and then get in front of a whole bunch of partners and tell them how, hey, you know, we're performing at about 80% below expectations. And we just did this deal, you know, a couple months ago. But, you know, here's what we're going to do about it. And we're going to acknowledge the problem. We're going to test these solutions. We're completely open to any and all suggestion of what we can do to do better to address, you know, the huge operating challenges that we're faced with. And that taught me a lot. It taught me how to be resilient, how to respond quickly, how to expect the worst, frankly, prepare for the worst. And, you know, I don't think I'd be the person I am today had I not gone through that experience. That's a great example of having to swallow a whole lot of pride. That'll do it to you. I mean, the worst part about it was I had had a fishing trip. Anybody that knows me knows I love fly fishing, but I had had a fishing trip planned for a year. And that fishing trip happened to coincide with sort of when, you know, the crap hit the fan with this deal. And I remember... And I couldn't not go on the trip because it was with my dad and we had never had a chance to kind of go do this together. And so I went on this trip with my dad and, you know, it was one of these father-son moments where he said to me, hey, you know, you can't seem to enjoy this trip or get your mind out of this predicament that you're in. You know, what can I do to help you? And I said, dad, there's nothing you can do to help me. You know, the only solution is going to be coming up with a solution and I can't sleep at night until I do and go execute on it. So it was really a trying time for me. And, you know, but today it's sort of the core of who I am and, you know, it's informed everything I do professionally and how I want to build Prairie. Awesome. Awesome story. So let's talk about the latter. What is the most rewarding thing about leadership? Oh man, it's success. You know, those moments where it all comes together and the magic happens. And, you know, when you have a thesis about something and you're able to execute on that because you've got the right team, you've got the right execution, you've got the right timing, 
And, you know, being right about something and, you know, closing on a transaction or, you know, drilling a great well or, you know, accomplishing your goals with a company, those are really, you know, the moments that stand out. I remember when I was a banker, you know, doing a lot of transactional kind of business, you know, there was nothing like closing deals and we'd close a deal probably every week. And it was just that great feeling of execution Running a company is a little bit different because, you know, it's not so episodic, but that's what's fun about it. You know, that's, I think, why I do it. I think that's why a lot of people do this. There's nothing like that feeling of, you know, teamwork, accomplishing something that's hard to do, especially when you're an underdog and a lot of people tell you, hey, you're nuts for trying to do what you're trying to do. And which is, you know, what happened to Gary and I when we took Prairie Public. A lot of people said, hey, where's the production? You guys are taking a big acreage position public. That's never been done before. You guys are kind of either crazy or stupid to go do that. Proving all those people wrong, frankly, is another, maybe that's a chip on my shoulder, but that's another, you know, huge bonus to, you know, succeeding as a team and as a leader. Showing them up. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) I'd be lying if I said it was any different. (laughs) So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be? Oh, I think, look, I mean, it's probably just what I tell my kids, which is work hard and be passionate about what you do. And if you can't be passionate about what you're doing, try something else that you can work hard towards and apply yourself towards because, you know, there are no shortcuts in life and, you know, grinding it out to accomplish something and feel that sense of fulfillment is like nothing else. So that's my simple advice. And sometimes, by the way, when you don't love something, grinding it out achieves a love for it because you gain an appreciation for the fact that, you know, maybe you didn't love it when you started, but getting good at it through the pursuit of consistent work achieves an affinity and a love for something. So, you know, and my kids often ask me like, well, how did you know you wanted to be in the oil and gas business when you were a kid? Which of course, you know, I crack up <laughs> laughing about because it's the last thing I ever imagined when I was a kid. Growing up in Southern California, I had no idea that, you know, where gas my dad put in the tank came from. So I think life is funny that way. I think sometimes you fall into something you love because you work hard at it and you figure out that you love it instead of the other way around. Yeah, that's really great points and great advice. It kind of goes into try different things, try things, be open to doing so. So that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a book that has influenced you? Oh, man, there have been so many good ones. I'll tell you what I'm reading now, which is probably a great thing to bring up for your audience. But Robert Bryce's A Question of Power is a tremendous read. I highly recommend it. Robert's become a friend recently, and I really appreciate his perspective. But he writes about sort of the history of electrification and the tremendous value that electrification has led to prosperity in the world. And I think that that's just a, you know, really center point topic today as people talk about renewables and net zero and transition, you know, we can't leave behind the other 
half of the world that is energy starved and dying for not really luxuries, but just a way of living that we take for granted today that enables, you know, good health care and the pursuit of prosperity and, you know, really basic things that we take for granted in the Western world. So, you know, A Question of Power is a great read for anybody that wants a primer on that. That's great. That's really great. There's so many people. It's like you were saying earlier, you had no idea where the gas you put in the car's tank came from and all the things around us that we do take for granted because of the byproducts of the oil and gas industry. So that's really great. So what would you say is your most used business tool? Well, you know, I think my most used business tool is probably showing up. My wife would always ask me, do you have to go on that trip? Do you have to go see those people? And, you know, <laughs> call me old fashioned, but, you know, I'm a believer in showing up. I know COVID drove us all to being a Zoom culture. And in many ways, there are many luxuries experienced as a result of that. But at the end of the day, I love showing up. I love people. I love interacting with people. I love meeting new people. I love learning from them building relationships. And I think that, you know, not only is business a relationship business, but life is a relationship business. So that's pretty, you fair. know, relationships are the core to everything. Yeah, you know? they really are. They really are. Okay. So this is my favorite question. Who's your most respected competitor? Well, this is going to sound funny, but being a kid that grew up idolizing Michael Jordan Knowing that I would never play basketball like Michael Jordan, I think my business idolization is similar. I think EOG is probably my fiercest competitor. And to level set here, you know, we will likely never achieve, you know, even a fraction of what EOG has achieved as a company. But, you know, you have to emulate the best and you have to strive to be the best. And in my opinion, they're the best. And you know, the reasons for that is because of their operational excellence. And, you know, I've watched them do it time and time again, but, you know, their ability to execute is second to none, in my opinion. And so, you know, that's really who I want to emulate as a company. So in which ways is Prairie better than EOG? I wouldn't say in any. I mean, you know, I hope to be better than EOG, in any measurable way in my career, that'll be a huge win. But I think the only way that we can be better than EOG is to learn from EOG in a really honest way. Part of my philosophy, by the way, has always been to not have any pride of authorship. I'm just a really good copier. And so what I want to do is be a really fast copier. So if I can watch somebody like EOG, learn from what they do, replicate it as quickly as possible, put it into action to our benefit. I think that's something that we can do really well. I don't know if we can be better than EOG at the EOG game, but you know, some things that we do I think are easier to do than for a company like EOG, and that's namely growth because they're already so big, it's harder for them to grow at astronomic rates. Whereas for us, you know, we're a tiny company, and we're striving to go really, really quickly. It's much easier to do. But our goal is to be the highest growth company amongst our peers. And so I think that's maybe a way that we can set ourselves apart from EOG and everybody else. Watch out, EOG. They're coming. 
<laughs> Here we come. <laughs> so, Ed, what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Oh, I think just to keep at it and to be resilient. And, you know, that's kind of what we've done with our business. You know, every wrong clock is right at least twice a day, as they say. And so I think we just have to keep at it and not give up and not stop and try to be innovative along the way. We're looking at other ways that we can provide value to the energy food chain. And I think it's really a interesting time in our industry, almost a renaissance, if you will, because it's clear that demand is growing for energy. You have a huge percentage of the world that's energy starved, as I noted. And so I think it's our challenge and opportunity as an industry to supply that demand growth in a way that is you know, honest and innovative and entrepreneurial. And so to me, that's really, really exciting. And, you know, what gets me up every day. Yeah, yeah, it is an exciting industry. That's for sure. So how is your role now important to the future of our industry? Well, again, we're just a tiny little company in a, you know, really big industry. So I think our role is pretty de minimis for the time being. But I think if we can, you know, really create a strong example of being enterprising and entrepreneurial, I think that's a good message, not only to our industry, but probably to, you know, young people today in our country. Because, you know, let's face it, the oil and gas industry in particular has been tremendously demonized yeah. in our country today and in the Western world and really prejudiced. Yet we, provides so much value that without us, you know, I think a billion people would starve in six months. So, yeah, you know, it's really exactly. And so I think that contrary to what a lot of people might say, I think it's a great time to start an oil company because I think the world needs every ounce of product that we're striving to create. And so I've never witnessed a situation in my life where something that creates so much value and is so important to so many people is, you know, on the cancel culture hit list as high as it is on that list. So that's kind of what excites me is, you know, not listening to those irrational voices and listening to our own voice and frankly, you know, the obvious reality. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's again, a very interesting time to be doing what we're doing. But if we had listened to people that said, we don't need any more oil, or you guys are crazy for taking acreage public or any of the things that people told us we shouldn't be doing, we wouldn't be here today. So I think we're really good at not paying attention to, you know, messages and voices we probably shouldn't be listening to anyway. And speaking of that, what are your thoughts about telling someone that doesn't know anything about the industry? about the industry because there's so much misinformation out there. And like you said, the industry has been demonized for years and just now are, you know, the super majors coming out and going, Hey, no, we're not bad. Cause we're not. Yeah. I think our industry was forced into a position of being apologetic, which we shouldn't be for any reason. You know, we frankly produce 
a product that, again, the world really, really needs, not only for energy use, but for all the things that we wear and use every day, you know, the tools and everything that, you know, is just standard around our house that we're accustomed to. Everything we're talking on right now. Everything. And so it's really dangerous and ill-informed to suggest that we don't need the oil and gas industry or that we can do without it in seven or 10 or 15 years. I think anybody that suggests as much just isn't being honest with themselves, which is worrisome because a lot of these people are policymakers. And so when the facts are so clear, it's scary that policymakers are so divorced from the facts and from reality. It's frankly a head scratcher in terms of where they're getting their information from. I think a lot of that has to do with lobbyists. So that's just it my could opinion. Be. And look, I get the idea that we should set high goals for ourselves. And maybe that's, you know, the pursuit of those goals is what propels society. And that's all fair and well. But when policy sets unrealistic expectations, no amount of government subsidy can help accomplish that. It doesn't matter how much money we throw at solar and wind. We'll never get to net zero in the timelines that policymakers are leading everyone to believe we can. And, you know, there are a whole bunch of examples about that beyond just solar and wind, just the whole energy value chain you know, through batteries and electrification and the grid and everything else involved. So, you know, I'm a big fan of reality. I'm a big (laughs) fan of realistic, achievable goals, realistic, achievable steps to get those goals done so that everybody could work in lockstep towards a successful outcome. But setting goals that are completely inachievable in a series of steps that are completely inachievable with subsidization that is bankrupting society. Those aren't things that I'm a fan of. And so I just frankly ignore all those voices and move forward with building the company that we want to build. Right, right on. I think one of my favorite things about the whole renewable thing is I don't think people realize you can't have renewables without oil and gas because you need the byproducts of oil and gas to create the renewables. So. Yeah, it's (laughs) funny how that works, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite podcast? Well, right now it's Paige Wilson's podcast. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, take that one. But I'll tell you, I've become a big fan of, you know, I've been listening to Bill Maher's podcast lately. It's really entertaining. You know, I love Jordan Peterson's podcast. It's also, you know, I grew up as a little kid, you know, watching, listening to William F. Buckley. And in my mind, I was, you know, I thought to myself, you know, therein lies the voice of a real intellectual, being able to thoughtfully articulate and break down arguments and complex thoughts and be able to defend that with somebody of a different mindset and opinion really left an indelible impression on me. And I think Jordan is really the only person I can point to in popular culture today that lives up to that mantle. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty astounding. He really is. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Ed. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Prairie Operating, how might they go about doing so? So we're currently listed on the OTCBB under ticker CRKR. We are in the process, as we've stated publicly, of uplisting, pending uplisting to the New York Stock Exchange. 
So you can look up our stock. You can go to our website at www.prairieopco.com and follow the company. Awesome. Great, great, great. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.